You're watching My Fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cohen. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. A beautiful audience. Thank you so much. Becky Rochelle. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. Keep clapping. Clap if you believe. Clap if you believe. How would we know you believe? If you don't keep clapping, welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. I am so excited about uh, about this episode. What a blessing it is to have you here with me, Spike Cohen. This is a Muddied Waters Media production. Check us out on muddiedwatersoffreedom.com. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter, on YouTube, on SoundCloud. We're on. We're on Stitcher. I don't even know what that is, but we're on that as well. We're on everything. Just check us out everywhere. If you if you look for Muddied Waters of Freedom, pretty much anywhere you'll find us. We're working on a Patreon. We're everywhere. Check us out. Um, what else? Uh, I would like to thank Kroger for the delicious drinking water that I'll be drinking today. I drink it on most episodes. Uh, so thank you again to Kroger for my water. Uh, the music that we use for the intro and outro for this and so far every episode of my fellow americans is from the very talented mr joe davi j-o-d-a-v-i uh check him out on Bandcamp. check him out on facebook uh definitely go to his Bandcamp. buy all of his music he doesn't have a lot of he, he has about a dozen songs buy all of them it's like eight bucks buy all of his music you'll be so happy that you did it um, and, uh, and you'll be so glad that you downloaded Joe Davi as always shout out to Tehran Turks' mom and him guys. My guest tonight is, uh, I'm very excited about my guest tonight. He is a, uh, political trainer and consultant. He's regularly featured, uh, by the foundation for economic education at fee.org. Uh, his work can also be found on Fox business network, HuffPo, uh, the, uh, independent voter network and other outlets. He's the author of the book, if you can keep it. And he's most recently has developed the uh, Weapons of Mass Persuasion program. His work focuses on persuasion and unity across political divides, uh, teaching people the tools uh, to help them effectively spread the message of liberty. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to my show my esteemed friend, Robin Kerner. Robin, thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Spike. That was quite the introduction, and I appreciate it. You're welcome, and I don't know why you're that small, and we're going to change that as we're yeah, talking. Yeah, actually, on my screen, there's now two of me. Just You did something, and another one of me appeared. And I, maybe it's not possible to have too much of me, but I, I, my mother would disagree. Well, I would definitely disagree with your mother as well, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm fixing the issue of Robin not being large enough right now. Oh, I've, been trying to, I've been trying to fix the issue of Robin being too large with my intermittent fasting. But now I can't hear you. You can't hear me now? Oh, now you're back. Okay. It's doing all kinds of funky things. Oh, good. I love when it does funky things while we're live. That's my favorite thing. Um, 
Okay, good. So I think I, I think I've got you normal size now. Let's see. There we go. And you're not the right size there. Oh, good. Um, and there's a delay now. There's a big delay on the sound. Oh, and you've gone silent. Have I gone silent? I've gone silent again. Oh, and now you're back. <laughs> oh, good. All right. So oh, that's... and now there's three of me. Then there was three. Now there's one. No, now there's two. There's a big okay. and a small. We're yeah. going to make this work. I'm telling you <laughs> right now. Okay, good. So I that's. All right, so that's you there, that's you there, that's you there. We have made everything happen correctly. Okay, good. Now, now we can actually do the show. Robin, you are a Cambridge University graduate, an internationally acclaimed author. You are a respected political and economic commentator in major media. And now here you are talking with a Jew in his guest room. What an honor that must be for you. Well, it is. You know, actually, you're overselling me, I hate to say, um... Because yeah, if I was internationally acclaimed, then I'd probably be richer than I am. So I don't think I've got there yet, but I, well, I'm I didn't, working on it. Yeah, I didn't say yeah. you were rich, but you have a claim. No, I know. But I a claim is free. Yeah, so. I mean, yeah but I, don't, I think you might, you know, walking the streets of Mongolia, I think you might have difficulty finding anybody who would uh, acclaim me. But, um, but thank you. Um, uh, actually, I, you know, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say your point about the... Um, to a Jew, and I do like your local Jew byline. Uh, Thank you. I don't know if you saw my latest article about identity politics, but the, I actually the racial about, one. Yeah. Yes, and I think it's the first time, maybe only the second time in the eight or so years I've been involved in politics publicly, that I've referenced my Jewish background. That's um, right. So your your uh, uh, grandfather, great grandfather. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I saw, I saw that. So it's two Jews talking with each other in their various locales. It's, um, it's a Jew and a quarter. And it's a Jew and a quarter. Could, and technically you could say only one because, of course, Judaism is passed down the mother's line. So I technically I'm not. But. Okay, well then, it, but, but it, it, majority Jew, we're having a majority Jew conference here. Yeah, there I'm, you go. I'm, I'm happy. To, in fact, I'm, have I had any Jews on my show? You might be the first... If not Jew, then Jew, Jew adjacent. Uh, Jewish, <laughs> Jewish-ish. So that's perfect. So thank you again for joining. Um, first of all, so whenever I have a guest on, the first thing that I ask is how you would describe your political beliefs um, and how you would say you got there. Was it sort of an aha moment? You know, is it sort of this, uh, you know, evolution that happened over time? You know, how would you describe that? Um some point very soon, I am going to coin a new term for my political beliefs. Okay. And when I do it, you'll know about it. Okay. Um, but for now, um, given what I know about the folks who are going to be watching the show, let me say uh, I am epistemic libertarian, I think would probably be uh, a good label. I don't like labels at all. Okay. But if um, since you're kind of asking for one, I probably need one for the shorthand. Um, <laughs> and, 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 I, and I, you know, I'd probably gravitate classical liberal, I, I guess. But, you know, um, whenever I get asked questions like this, the first thing I usually do is quote Kierkegaard, who said, if you label me, you negate me. Mm. Uh, 
And I think that the negation that comes with labeling is only one of the problems that comes with labeling. Um, so, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> how, how long do you want me to go on, on for about my beliefs? Cause I, if I start like we, we could, that could be a half hour monologue. <laughs> Buddy, I end up falling asleep in this chair half the time. So you can really just, I, there's no, you can go on as long as you want, honestly. That's not um, what I'm aiming for though, Spike. <laughs> okay, good, good. Yeah, no. <laughs> No, I didn't mean during the show. I just mean I'm after the show, I'm doing stuff, and then I wake up. And so, no, I didn't mean my guest put me to sleep. Um, that would be fun, though, huh? Um, so, okay, so I'm assuming just based on the things I've read, you kind of lean towards the idea of minarchy than than anarchy. Am I correct? More like you, you, you know want to? I'm kind. Of, I'm gonna. I'm kind of sick of answering that question. Okay, but I'm interested in moving in the direction of more freedom, and right. as. And, and where is anybody, uh, you know, if people self-identify anarchist, minarchist, libertarian, I don't, you know, anti-authoritarian. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, it's such at this point of like, you know, here's the constitution on the wall behind me. Right. Um, I spend a lot of time studying the history of how we got to this thing and, um, and the psychology of how we convince people of what's good in this thing and beyond, right? Obviously this isn't, I'm not saying it's a panacea, but it's a pretty, pretty sublime, uh, effort. Um, so given all that, like these, how many libertarians can dance on the head of a pin and what shall we call them uh, when they do so? I, I find it kind of beside the point, the point being how, what do we need to be doing think, and thinking about and, and working out to actually increase the liberty that we enjoy, you know, as individuals right. and as a nation? So I, you know, one of the things that I, I teach, um, I, you've got my weapons of mass persuasion uh, thing here. Uh, mm -hmm. So that refers to a program that um, I launched uh, not too long ago, weaponsofmasspersuasion.com. One of the things I talk about in there with, um, is that, Successful politics is done with direction uh, in mind. Now, obviously, direction and destination are related. Um, but uh, yeah, political change, even large step change in politics, it never takes you to a utopia in one jump, whatever you Right, mean. right, of course. Yeah, it's about how far can you go in a certain direction and even those changes. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking now kind of historically going back a thousand years of, of Anglo history, if you like. Um, even the big step changes towards liberty, they still leave you miles away from you know, where you would want to be as a minarchist today, as an anarchist today, as a libertarian today. Right. So, um, so, so my point is that the, the fun, when I said epistemic libertarian, to have a belief about whether it is possible to get, you know, the amount of government to zero um, is like, that's an interesting discussion and libertarians <laughs> seem to be obsessed with it. And I say obsessed just because whenever I go to these big conventions, I'm, I'm so often asked to do a, oh, we're going to have a minicky anarchy debate. Would you take the minicky side? And people always ask me to take the minicky side, um, even though I don't have a declared, <laughs> you know, the position on here, the here right. because... Because I, I think what's important is actually um, uh, is intellectual humility. It's the understanding that uh, we've got to have more freedom. The moral burden always has to be on the person or the institution that seeks to use force to do good because I don't know what's best for you. Um, and frankly, most people barely know what's best for themselves. Uh, we certainly don't know what's best uh, for, for, for others. others. Right, right. 
and 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 you know and and obviously yeah that's not controversial among libertarians um but but the other thing i would say is even yeah just because we may care about liberty and have probably you know read more of the great authors and the liberty canon than most folks in many instances that still doesn't mean that each one of us who thinks we know so much knows enough about liberty um knows everything there is to know that despite right. the fact that we feel that we have a very in some cases precise and consistent conception of uh liberty let's say as an ideological consistent uh, system that we know enough even let's say to argue for one projected into the future version of you know uh utopian version of this liberty the system of liberty uh, that we would like to see manifest versus another I, I just think if we're spending time answering that question and talking about it we're not spending time um doing the actual things we need to do to create massive political upheaval in the direction of liberty um so it's a long way of saying i think the minicist anarchist thing is a head fake well and it's kind of like you said, it's it, so we're we're currently headed in the other direction. So right. getting spending <laughs> a tremendous amount of time. I mean, it's good to have those types of discussions. And and I for those who know, I'm I'm obviously more in the anarchist camp, but I'm also in the let's start heading that way camp. And uh, you know, so that's you know, we can argue about whether minarchy or anarchy or are you know that can become our prominent prime primary discussion when we're already there, when we have a government that's so small that, you know, we're, we're able to have a discussion about whether we even need it at all. Um, right now, you know, a, a trillion dollars a year added to the national debt and, you know, an increasing number of, you know, uh, 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 global wars happening, you know, in perpetuity. It's, it, it, I, I see how outside of liberty, cause I'm a, I love arguing with other libertarians a lot. And, uh, but outside of that circle, to you know to see us arguing about you know the 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 finer points of whether the state can exist to uh you know to protect property or not seems kind of silly when the state isn't even trying to protect property and and, you know like i mean we're not we're you know so i i get what you're saying there and i would go even further than that right um you know liberty uh jefferson they said I can't remember the exact quote. I mean, there's probably a few of them. But Jefferson said very much that the last bulwark of liberty has to be, you know, the education and the demand of the people, right? And so if we're having conversations with ourselves while allowing the popular mind, right, to care less about liberty, right, um, actually reduce, you know, that that's not the American idiom, to actually, you know, to care to a increasingly, to a, a falling extent about the importance of their own liberty to even be less able over time to, to notice liberty as it's being taken away from them. Right. If we're having discussions with ourselves about this hypothetical world, then actually it isn't okay for libertarians to be having those discussions. It's not okay. That is not doing what we need to do. If we're serious about increasing liberty rather than having an intellectual masturbatory ego trip. And I'm, like, as you can tell from the tone of my voice, I'm like, let's let's stop the masturbatory ego trip thing. Let's try and get the minds of people to, to, to be able to conceive and perceive the thing we care about, supposedly. The, the reason that I'm laughing is because my last episode was a debate that I called the Masters of Debate. And... Um... So, so, so this is the anti-masters of debate yes. or the masters of anti-debate that we're having now. So that's, that's good. 
Um, so I, I just you see, and just to be clear, right? I'm an actually an intellectual purist by instinct. I, you know, you right. mentioned, um, I think my graduate at Cambridge. I studied physics. I studied physics at Cambridge, and then I studied philosophy of science. Like it doesn't become any more in like purist cognitively and intellectually, logically than than, than subjects like that. Right, um, right, right. So, so I'm happy for us to do it. But let's not, if we're spending more time doing that, especially on Facebook, let's say, pretend that we actually care more about liberty, um, actually, in reality, than anybody else. Right. Um, let's just not pretend it, you know? Um, okay. Yeah. This is a personal attack against me. No, it's not. I'm just joking. No, no, uh, no, 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 I know. I know. I was just kidding. So, somebody needs to say this, right? Because I'm, I, like... What I'm starting to see now in in our in in circles, in liberty circles, is that the doing of one seems to have is coming at the expense of the other, and yeah. I don't think yeah. this needs to be an either or. Yeah, right. Yeah. It can be a both and, but you know, let's just be honest with what do we spend our time arguing about? Because you know. If, if what we really cared about was actually changing the country rather than proving I have the right belief in, you know, with respect <laughs> to doctrine, then, right. then I tell you, 90% of the debates I see in libertarian circles wouldn't be there because we'd be so busy trying to work out how was it actually that the minds of entire populations have allowed liberty at some times to recede and at other times to increase. How right. is it that we actually change a culture to change politics towards liberty? How is it, if we're so right, that um, liberty is, the desire and demand for liberty is innate, that it's such a wonderful thing, and that most Americans are libertarians, if only they knew, that they right. are voting for a government that is doing the exact opposite. Clearly, we're missing something. Right, but right, we right. really care about it. And that's what motivates me, as you can see. Right. In fact, our, our guest, one of our uh, um, one of our viewers, uh, Jacob, wrote minarchists and anarchists just need to band together for now. We can argue about the minutia later. And I think that's essentially what you're trying to say, that it's it's that's not really important. But like you, know, you said, it, it's, it's... And, and that's and that's right. And, and, and that's a good point. And, and obviously, yeah, and you still hear a lot of libertarians saying that, which is great. But more than that. Right. If we want to reverse the tide of tyranny, which I think we can yeah, everybody listening to this show can buy into. It's not just anarchists and minarchists. There's also regular Americans who are yeah. sick of having their shit taken and their their rights taken and their kids taken and their freedom taken because they supposedly committed a crime that didn't hurt anybody. Wait, right. those people in the grip of all those experiences, they can be part of that camp of you know, the tent of we're done with this. If only we are speaking to them, which is what my weapons of mass persuasion thing is about. And my book is about, I guess, um, you know, in a way to that we that we easily and naturally work together on these things um, because it's been done in history. It's been done in history. And we, you know, the, the, the blueprints are there. So so yes to the anarchists and minarchists. But the fact that we are even discussing if it's anarchists and minarchists banding together versus not banding together shows how much of the point we're missing. That shouldn't even be in question. It's right. anarchists and minarchists, the, the disaffected, that I'm sick of the Democrats, I'm sick of the Republicans, which right. is the majority, right? The, the, the vast the majority, right, right, right. 
percent that um, uh, what's the uh, more in common identified in a large survey um, that they called the um, exhausted majority that I have called elsewhere the silenced majority who feel that the the established political processes don't give them an outlet for their political sentiments at those times in history liberty has been able to harness disaffection and really make a difference and um you know and, and that's why in my book i have kind of a historical chapter because i want libertarians to understand how we go from the theory to the practice right um both psychologically and when you put lots of people together psychology writ large is history right historically then we can start to implement some of those patterns so so yes yes to your uh viewer there and some and then some, yeah. So what what brought you to the U.S. originally? Was was, was it work or what? Was it an accident woman. or? It was a woman. It's always oh, a woman. Oh, it was a woman. Um, it was a woman. And, and I, but that was a long time ago. And then it didn't work out. Um, well, there's a story. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, but I did fall in love with the, the United States. And, um, and after the thing with the woman didn't work out, I went back to the country I thought I was going to make my life in um which was actually in east asia it was in taiwan but okay. I, I had a, i had a change of heart and decided i wanted to immigrate to a country where uh, english was the first language so i could develop myself professionally and that's another long right. story about the research i did and how i chose the country but i knew from my experience chasing this woman to california that i liked the u.s that i felt like an american in a british body um so i'd give it a, a punt and so here i am Nice. Well, we're glad you're here. My my wife can uh, uh, sympathize or empathize with you there. She moved here for me, um, but she's not. She's a Canadian in a Canadian body, uh, oh. and has remained as much. Uh, so just uh, have great bodies. I, I I've been spent quite a bit of time up there. I so love yeah. my my Canadian's body. Um, <laughs> but uh, we can do a show about that. Um, Anytime. So, so as I was telling you when we were getting ready with my, my various technical issues that I had, I actually have heard of you before, or I've read from you before, from an article you did back in, was it 2011 or 2012, the uh, Blue Republican? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so I remember reading, um, and I think it was someone that said, uh, I think it was someone that thought, it was from Facebook that it originated, I believe, and it was someone that said something along the lines of, look, even the Democrats are waking up. I don't think that they realized that you weren't necessarily, or I guess at the time you were sort of by default the Democrats, sort of a progressive by default. Um, but it was a very interesting article where you where you broke down the, it, it, to some extent, the, the argument for someone that was not conservative or Republican, why they should vote for Ron Paul, that he was pretty much everything that, the good things that Bush and and then eventually Obama promised, but simply would not deliver on. So, you know, tell me about what 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 you know inspired you to write that. So I had um, the year the, going back just one year before that. So say twenty ten, I had no interest in politics whatsoever. Um, yeah, being an intellectual purist, I was interested in physics and philosophy and things like that, right? Um, and so you know, the dismal sciences like economics and politics and yeah uh, <laughs> wasn't, but but i had um uh actually it started with me doing a little research for a book i was thinking about writing um and i stumbled across this video by peter schiff and oh, okay. um do you, do you remember when he was predicting the housing crisis um and uh and i was very taken with this video. It was one of those compilation videos of Peter Schiff was right. You know? Right, 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 right. And they were all laughing at him and he kind of nailed it. And um, 
And I was really interested that he was laying out some simple economic axioms, making specific testable predictions, and then the predictions came back tested and correct, right? Right, right, and, right. Uh, this is like, oh my God, this is an economist doing something that actually resembles real science, you know, as a trained physicist. So right. I was curious, and, and literally he, um, I was curious enough to Google this term Austrian economics that he mentioned on one of these news clips. Uh -oh. and Yeah, and, and that was my rabbit <laughs> hole. And I, so I actually got into the libertarian thing through uh, researching Austrian economics. I, I kind of went that way. Hmm. Um, and a lot of my early writing, and, and indeed, uh, the, kind of, I think the biggest chapter in my, well, maybe the second biggest chapter in my book is, uh, is an economics chapter. There's a lot of Austrian economic stuff in there. Um, so, so I went from there to discovering libertarianism, you know, probably on a side panel of a Wikipedia page. Right. And as, I, as one would, right. Yes, yeah, right, you know. And, um, and with the help of a, of a libertarian friend of mine who I'd never paid any attention to, or not in politics anyway, before right. that, I, um, I got a reading list and I, you know, did the basic, uh, my first liberty stack of books, uh, you know, Hayek and Bastia and then the good stuff. And yeah, right, right. And, 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 and the thing that terrified me and was very humbling, it was great, was that I shared a room studying physics at Cambridge with a guy doing political science. Um, in my second year, and we were close friends. Okay. And somehow, in arguably the greatest university in Europe, sharing a room with a political scientist, I'd never heard of Hayek or Bastiat. I'd never read any of this, of the canon of, let's say, classical liberalism, of, let's just say, the broad liberal tradition that was directly drawn upon to write this thing behind me, you know. Right. Um, and uh, that's the Constitution, by the way, for those who yeah. can't see it. So, so, um, it's the Magna Carta. Or, yeah, right, right. So um, I, that, was, that was shocking to me. It was appalling. You know, I was appalled at my own ignorance. And so I started reading, if you like, you know, the bit of, bits and pieces of the Liberty Canon. Um, and I, so when 2011 came uh, and the presidential election, um, to get to the blue Republican thing, I was now I had a I had a horse in the race, and my horse was Ron Paul, and um, I hadn't been a Democrat. I mean, I wasn't even American, so I legally couldn't be anything. Right, um, right, right. But I'd never voted. Um, I don't know if I'd voted at all. Um, I'd certainly never voted, you know, Democrat or Labour, which would be the British equivalent. Right, right, right. Uh, but uh, one thing I know about. Uh, is sales and marketing. I'm, I'm, I'm good at meeting people where they are. And, you know, one of the things I spent a lot of time studying in my graduate degree in philosophy of science was actually epistemology, which is the philosophy of belief and knowledge. You know, why do we trust what we believe? Well, right. I draw on that a lot now in my work when it comes to political persuasion. And so I was like, look, all of my best friends are progressive, right? As you said earlier, progressive by default if you're middle class right. and educated you're well-meaning and you haven't read the books you think well why don't you just use this thing called law and government which seem to be given to manifest your good intentions progressive right. by default so i was like well i, I can speak that language right, right, I mean, right, right. so so the, the the travesty of blue republican if i can call it that was that somebody who'd literally spent not even a year thinking about politics um could write an article that created the largest coalition for Ron Paul that remained the largest coalition for him right up until the convention. Yep. So, so that was 
And, and when I did that, it made such, um, I don't know, such ripples. Um, and it kind of put me on the map in politics. Right. Um, that I did, I did the best part of a hundred interviews, probably 80 something interviews uh, in that year. Sometimes people wanted to hear the blue Republican case. And sometimes Liberty folks were like, well, how do you do that? You, you know, how did you, how did you create this big coalition of mostly progressives and independents? And it's like, you know, it's doable. And I teach people to do it now if they want to learn. Um, and, um, you know, so so I realized that was my calling, my, that I, I discovered this passion for liberty. And I discovered uh, that actually my skill set was, um, or at least the application of my skill set to ideas, moral and political ideas was, if not unique, it was very scarce. And so that was the good that I could do. And, and that's the good I've been trying to do, you know, since then. And I hope to do for the rest of my life. And I assume that that's, is that kind of what led to you re later uh, writing If You Can Keep It? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, yes. I, I think that's what motivated me. Okay. To, to, to write. Actually, what motivated me to think of the book? When I first conceived the book, it was actually, um, it was before I'd done a lot of work uh, in libertarian circles. Um, it, it was partially motivated by watchingamerica.com, which I set up, anybody can go to it, I set up in 2004, 2005, and it's just a website that finds and translates foreign opinion commentary editorials about the United States from media all over the world. Oh, okay. And I just thought that was a cool paradigm-busting, break down the final uh, barrier among human beings, which is the language barrier idea right. back you know, back before there was WordPress, um, back before there were lots of things, actually. And and so I had this interest in I had this interest in intellectual humility um, in, if you like, epistemological humility before I discovered libertarianism. And in a way, um, I, and watching America is kind of a tool to humility for Americans. And one of the reasons I think the liberty philosophy grabbed me politically was that it's about building a world where um, humility, where the acting on humility, the acting on the understanding that I don't know what's best for you right. is, is favored and supported. Um, and because I think that's the right way to live. Um, you know, I, I was pleasantly surprised when I discovered there was a, a political philosophy, a system, if you like, um, that, that, that would support that, you know, that, that broader view that I had. Right. Um, so, so I, that was the, so, so the original motivation for If You Can Keep It was, the, was to explore this gap between American self-identity, right? So, and how America actually is and acts in the world. Right. right. But then I got soon after I had that idea, I got passionate about liberty and I had a framework for that. Right. Because I was like, well, America understands itself as the land of free enterprise, the land of free people, the land, land of, of the all free. This and yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And there's well, it ain't that. So I was able to bring to bear, I think, um, a much more, a much better informed, a much more sophisticated um and a body of knowledge to the book when I eventually wrote it, which was years after I'd first conceived it. And right. I should say, because this goes to the things that 
I know that our viewers are interested in. I had a draft of this book on my hard drive for years. Um, and the more I studied about liberty, the more I was thinking, oh, you know, that thing I wrote in that chapter needs to be done better. That That's not right. I know better now. Right. Um, and I thought one day I would get back and rewrite most of the book. And I was at, um, I was at a student's, an international students for liberty, uh, event in 2016 um i think it was 2016 and i was sharing some of what i had learned with uh the many hundreds of students there and they were and what i had learned about how you actually implement liberty how you actually get democrats minds republican minds to change to actually give up a political identity and right. identify somewhere else because that's what i did with blue republican on mass right that's my kind of special skill and i was talking to a lot of the students who'd been trying to do activism on campus and i was getting these unbelievably excited superlative reactions like i, I lost count of the number of people who said something along the lines of we've been to every one of the stalls in this in the exhibition hall and we've never heard this this is what we need this is what we need and i thought i've right. got to go and write that so i went back and in two weeks i basically rewrote two-thirds of the book that been sitting on my hard drive with the accumulated knowledge drawing on i guess a lot of the hundreds of articles i'd written you know in the meanwhile right. um but also a lot of the things that were just in my head that i needed to to formalize and clarify and actually turn into something that would be useful for people that actually practically want to advance liberty. Um, so that means unpacking why it is people see in America liberties that have been taken away and see in their own lives or believe that they have liberties they, they don't have any longer. And if Which you is... don't understand that, you can't fix it. Which is, om at times, that's one of the hardest things because... You know, I grew up in the States and it's pounded under our heads. You're free, freedom, liberty. We're celebrating our freedom. We fought for independence. We're independent, free, and we have liberty. And, you know, I mean, you see the terms liberty and freedom used liberally uh, in both the Republican and Democrat parties. You will have, you know, Trump or Obama or Bush unironically sit up there and talk about how free we are. And then when you start to talk to people about the fact that they're not free, at least the way I do it, a lot of times they become very uncomfortable. And so you have to kind of dial it back because they don't like the idea that they're not free. And they'll go, well, you just want to be a heathen or whatever. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm not saying you should do those things. I'm saying you can't do those things. And it, the, the fact that, you know, if you bring up weed or, you know, whatever, if you bring and, and, and I don't I mean, I've been sober for 12 years. I, I, I certainly don't want to smoke weed, but you'll bring up something like weed or selling raw milk or keeping all of your income or, or, you know, uh, not being robbed to pay for people to be murdered all around the world. And you bring up those things and all the, like you call them cognitive defenses. They all go up and they're like, no, 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 I'm free. I'm free. And it's like, and, and there's that saying that it's, it's harder to free. I'm going to butcher it. Cause I'm not even sure how it went, but it's, it's, it's easier to free a slave than to convince someone that they're a slave. And you know, that's sort of, an, it, slavery is a bit of a, a probably a little no, bit no, of hyperbole there, but, but, when you tell someone, no, you're really not free. You're, you're, there's, there's a tremendous amount of 
of, of things that you go through every day that are, are not synonymous with freedom. And the reason that you live as comfortable a life as you do is because you've been so conditioned to live within the boundaries of what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do that it's just second nature and you don't even realize what's happening. And um, I, I assume that's, you know, a big part of what you talk about is is Fair in enough. having having a good non uh, existential crisis causing way of, of telling someone and having them realize, no, I'm not free. Exactly. So, um, well, many of my, um, passionate libertarian friends have been having lots of <laughs> arguments between minarchy and anarchy. Right. I, I've been, and I'm really serious about this. I've been, um, spending hundreds, hundreds of hours, uh, over the last few years researching, what that is about. So I've, I've been doing a lot of psychology, um, you know, how it manifests, why it manifests, and how you can stick the lever under it and change it, right? Right. Um, and I, I believe with all my heart that if we're actually interested in, in saving this country for liberty or saving liberty for this country, right. um, that, that that's the biggest part of the puzzle and it also happens to be the part of the puzzle that we don't have. Um, so, so, so what is it? What are those defenses? Why are they there? And how do you go under, around, or over them? Because it turns out now more than ever, of course, we really know how to do that. But it's right. not trivial, right? You have to pull together a lot of, um, uh, of what we know about neurology, about psychology, about sales and marketing, about behavioral economics. But there's so much now to draw on that actually not. And, and this is beyond academic. Now, there are people all over the world who understand this, some almost accidentally, but some quite consciously and employ it. And so my work and I have always you know, written it uh, for those with a liberty bent because I want liberty uh, pursuing folks to use this work right. has been about to, to kind of crystallize out um, this knowledge and act, and then turn it into actual techniques that you can use. Like and, and many of them, by the way, you have to apply to your own thinking as much as to other people's. Right. Um, but when you kind of take a certain kind of perspective on your own beliefs and how you got to them, um, that kind of does half of the work in changing how you need to communicate. Um, uh, with other people. And it also enables you, or because it also enables you, to experience what you're saying as them. Um, and, and so this is part of my problem in particular. Part of what brought me to libertarianism was people telling me uncomfortable things and and me having that reaction and saying, you just hate America, you want the terrorists to win, you're a, you know... Uh, if I, if, if the term had been more prolific, then I would have called him a cuck, but that wasn't really a big thing back then, at least not outside of, you know, Nazi circles or whatever. It wasn't as prolific as it is now, but I, that's what I would have called him. I mean, if that had been a, a term, then a more prolific term. And it took me like really hearing that and then saying, you know what, let me make sure I really think what I think. And I, and I, and going back, but I also realize I'm not like most people. Most people don't have that level of, uh, I guess, intellectual curiosity i'm not sure what to call or, or self-deprecation or whatever maybe a combination of those things so that helped the way that libertarians argue is what brought me to libertarianism but i'm not i'm not wired like most people clearly so so i think that's what you're talking more about is to get the people yeah. that that think like most people think well right i mean you know and like i say you know, there are people like us 
who are doing things like this. Right, but, right, right. You know, you don't. That's not how you you turn a country. One of the things. One of the things that I, you know, it's a slide. I'm, I'm kind of that's in my weapons of mass persuasion course. Um, yeah, I try and get people like us who might be taking the course um, right. to realize how we how unrepresentative we are because not only are most people not living in an essentially uh one-dimensional moral universe of of freedom versus oppression right. as the dominant moral axis most people um are not do not have systematized even conscious moral beliefs systematized right. moral beliefs of any kind right, right. it's very situational um, right 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 um, most people's, the coherence of most people's beliefs, whether they be political or moral, um, is kind of, uh, to be explained, you have to go to a set of perspectives or assumptions that they are, most people are likely not even to be conscious of having. So you have to kind of get more conscious of, let's say, their, their biases and their motivations than they are. Now, I teach people how to do that. Um, I do that in my work. Now, it's not rocket science. It's science, but it's not rocket science. Right. And again, like it, I marvel at how many times, um, you know, and I own my own frustration about this, but, you know, to put my cards on the table, I, I wonder at how many times I see the same conversation in libertarian threads about, oh, we need to be better at this, need to be better at that. And, and, I'm, and I think, yeah, I've been asked to talk about that more times at libertarian events than I can count on my fingers right. and toes. And right. so now not only, so, so I've built a program that does that thing that you've been asking for. Um, right. You know, now I'm building a campaign. I, I mean, I've, I, I, I did the outline of a, of a campaign for the LP that's, that incorporates these principles. I've been writing for free. I've spent hundreds of hours of time for free doing intellectual work that I could have been spending doing a PhD um, to, to, on this stuff. And I put these articles up for libertarians to read and, and, and assimilate and use. And I'm not saying I'm the only one that knows it or I'm the smartest guy in the room. But if we care about liberty, let's take the value that you know we have in our movement wherever we find it and, right. and, and use it as best we can use it. And let's not keep saying, well, we need this and we need that when there's some dude over here that's actually given it to you. I, I, I <laughs> you know... Uh, that's how I he did this for you people guys um so so do you think that libertarians at you know uh, uh generally speaking have a unique issue problem with communicating with normies or do you think it's an uphill battle for us to fight against status conditioning that most people have or is it maybe just a combination of both i think it's a combination of both um but i don't want to i don't want to overstate either one okay. of the reasons um, it is a combination of both, but I say, yeah, uh, not, neither of these things are insurmountable. Um, interestingly, and this is a crass generalization, but okay. useful. Um, in terms of personality, libertarians are more like progressives than conservatives. So we're high in trait openness. Um, we tend to be lower in trait conscientiousness. But the exception is that to turn a progressive into a libertarian, what you need to do is turn down the empathy and turn up the rationality. Um, so we are kind of like slightly autistic progressives. Um, we we uh, now obviously progressives are um, like what we think today as a progressive. Um, you know, 
they tend to yeah read Jonathan Haidt on this. Um, but I also discuss this at length in my courses. Um, uh, yeah, that you they exist at, um, on on the care harm axis, right? Progressives, their political morality is is tends to be framed in terms of care harm. Now, right. if you're a libertarian, your your one dimensional uh, moral universe is on the liberty uh, oppression axis. Now, one of the things you know, I exercise for the reader, if you like, that right. um, I do when I work with libertarians is. Um, and sometimes I have to do this myself as a liberty guy uh, when I'm consulting, let's say, uh, to an organization that needs to reach folks on the left is, OK, you can take pretty much any one of your libertarian principles and reframe it as a statement of a means of reducing harm and increasing care. When you get really good, you can concentrate it on uh, you can frame it as just that for a victim group or a group that you can identify as a victim group so that you right. can start to get the hard left. So things like this. And um, so we don't, as it seems to me that um, liber the, a disproportionate amount of the volume inside self-identified libertarian circles comes from folks who want to you know, have those finer point hypothetical arguments <laughs> rather than, OK, political activism. How do you learn that and how do you do it? Let's get out and do it. Right. Because um, they don't want to so, talk to normal people. A lot of. Them. Yeah. So, 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 so that bit I put on them. Um, but, you know, the other thing is, obviously, you, you see more of the good and the bad in the circles that you stay in. Right? Oh, of course. So, right. 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 So, so I don't want to I don't want to say. Um, but there's a great there is a great. Okay, so, so the, the ineffectiveness of a political philosophy right. in, in, in proselytizing outside itself is often a form of the strength, one of, uh, of its, the, the, the greatest strength that motivates it turned up to an excessively high volume such that everything else gets drowned out. Right. So when so when when you're talking about let's say the social justice left, right, mm -hmm. what you have is kind of like a pathological commitment to not actually caring, but experiencing oneself as caring. Right. right? Signaling that you care to those yes. around you, including yourself. Yeah. Yes, yes. So what happens is that motivation gets kind of uh it, it's a good real motivation, but right, it gets right. distorted, right? Now, right. I would say the libertarian version of that, and God knows we have our libertarian is version, is, well, we are more, we are smarter. We have systematized it more. We have read more books. We have, right, which is true, but then it gets turned up. And so I, um, so, so then we, we get to, um, whatever it is that we do at the extremes, which is ineffective. And we believe it's because we're smarter or we believe it's because we're, <laughs> They're just we're so principled. stupid. Yeah. Right? It, and, and, and it's self, I mean, it, it, it's actually self uh, falsifying, but don't say that to the folks engaged in it. Just as, right. just as if you said to the social justice warrior, you know, types that we have, on, uh, I'm in Seattle, you know, up at UW there. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. You know, that's not, that's not going to be the way to get to them. Right. So, so, Again, it's um, I, I don't expect by uh, saying this to you here, Spike, that folks who might, my libertarian friends who think that that hat fits them will be, 
will want to take it from me. I'm sure they will disagree with me. And that's fine. So I'm just talking to you. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, you know, it takes all kinds. Like I said, it took me hearing things. I, I, I've Anytime I've made any major philosophical changes, it has taken someone either me in, in researching things or someone actually talking to me saying something that created a level of cognitive dissonance in me that I could recognize and then right. respond to it. So hearing that I might possibly be a Democrat with Asperger's um, is, 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 is a <laughs> powerful thing, a powerful thing. Now um, I want to, I want to pull out something very, uh, I want to clarify and emphasize <laughs> something that you said, okay. um, but I also make much of much of in my political persuasion work. Uh, it's crucial to do this. Um, if I tell you what you think and you disagree with it, you're not going to believe it just because I explained it to you and gave you facts. Right. Um, but what I need to do, which is probably what you experienced uh, when you moved over to, you know, when you saw the light, when you decided, OK, I'm going to identify as a libertarian, let's say now, rather than whatever you identified with before, was that you were invited to take some part of the paradigm that you were already consciously bought into right. and test it against some other part that someone pointed out to you, there was an inconsistency, right? And you've got, you, you, the dissonance is an internal experience. Right, now, right, right. If, 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 if I'm going to give you something that isn't part of your paradigm, you can easily avoid the dissonance by just simply rejecting it, right? <laughs> rejecting the facts on which it's based, which is right, what right. you do all the time. What everyone um, does, right, is, right, right. And this is why, you know, anarchist arguments to progressives, let's say, based on the non-aggression principle, don't work. Because it's so far out of their paradigm, they're not connecting with it. Right. However, if someone says, look at this thing you believe, does it really, this principle you believe already, does it really sit consistently with this, let's say, policy you're supporting? Now, this right. is what I did with Blue Republican, by the way. It's exactly yeah. what I did. No, that's, yeah, that's exactly what you did with the article. You, yeah. trigger, the, you trigger the cognitive dissonance. So I want to teach libertarians to do that, you know, and, and, and I don't care whether you're a minicist, a classical liberal, an anarchist. You right. need to learn that if you're going to move the, the country towards where you want to go. That's right. And that's and that's what we weapons of mass persuasion is about. You're it, it's sort of weaponizing, uh, uh, you know, people to be able to be activists and actually effectively uh, get people. Now, in your in the previews about weapons of mass persuasion, you talk about um, learning how to know how people, you know, knowing how people form their beliefs, listening to where they're coming from. A lot of listening, a lot of, you know, before you start talking to them, listen more. And in your articles where you talked about you know the, the last few I've I've I've, I've read uh, most uh, notably the one about uh, toxic masculinity and then the other one about racial issues. Half of the article was you talking about how you asked people questions and that you formed your opinion and and your perception of it based on what people were saying, whether you ended up agreeing with it or not. You were listening to people, and so it, you know you talk about that. You talk about avoiding zero sum, I win, you lose arguments, uh, uh, avoiding setting off cognitive dissonance. Uh, or cognitive, well, cognitive dissonance, setting off the defenses. Uh, I have just in my own personal path, I've been researching stoicism a lot uh, recently, and it, it talks a lot about the same type of stuff, avoiding reacting emotionally. And instead, when you get that emotion, emotional reaction, examining why you had it and really drilling down into that, sort of kind of taking a step back. Weapons of mass persuasion seems to go even further, where not only am I doing that with myself, but that I'm I'm learning to examine 
why everyone else is having that reaction to things. Um, so, you know, is that, am I, am I getting the gist of, of what you're doing there? You absolutely are. And actually, um, of course, it won't be surprising that those two things are the same thing. Because if you have the intellectual humility to examine your own, the data set of your own experience, um, judgment formation, being of the same species as everybody else who's doing it, you can right. learn about how they're doing it. Right. Um, and um, so, no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I, it's an old, so, so a lot of what I bring, I talked about, you know, the epistemology degree and, and, and stuff. But, but, you know, one thing that I brought to bear on the Blue Republican article and all my work since is that I was trained in direct sales. I mean, I've knocked on hundreds of doors to sell books to people. And you know, I've done it the hard way. And, um, you know, and, and salesman, what a, an old salesman's adage is if you shut up for long enough, the customer will tell you how to sell them. Right. That happens in politics all the time because it's human nature. Right. Um, and, you know, so in a way, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because the hard bit is to get off one's own, uh, is to get disinvested from one's own beliefs and rightness. Once you do that work on yourself, the stuff you need to do with and for other people kind of becomes a lot easier, a lot right. easier. Right, Yeah, I, so I personally got into stoicism for personal reasons, uh, dealing with anxiety and also um, without getting too far into it. I have an MS and I had talked with other people who had MS who said that they were actually able to it was it helped them with symptoms and things like that to step back instead of having an emotional reaction to a symptom, stepping back and, and examining why they feel that way and, and learning to look at it from a more almost a third person outside of themselves. And that it helped a lot with that. So that was sort of my personal motivation in doing that. I have found that my messaging in libertarianism has changed somewhat until I get pissed off and then it goes back to the other thing. But what I'm what I'm until I get triggered enough up until that moment, I'm able to be more effective with messaging by doing what you're saying, by listening and, and, and by doing those things. So I'm, I'm really interested about this program. I think I'm actually going to sign up after this, actually. Um, but uh, uh, I wanted to ask you something about, and this is sort of an application of what we're talking about. Your last couple of articles you had written about racial and gender issues. Uh, most notably, you had written about the Me Too movement and the Black Lives Matter movement. And you wrote a lot about how people in general don't spend much, and, and not just in those articles, but just in general. You've talked a lot about how people in general don't spend much time trying to see things from someone else's point of view. And so they end up talking past each other whenever, the more heated the subject gets, the less they're actually talking with each other to the point to where they're literally, their faces are past each other and they're just yelling this way. Um, as you know, the libertarian movement in general, and I guess the libertarian party in particular, skews heavily white and male. I don't know proportionately how heavily it skews general to, uh, relative to the general population, um, but it does skew more heavily white and male um, in general, especially in the party, even though, in my mind, the libertarian message seems to be a natural fit for people of color and, and people who are more likely to be disproportionately victimized and poorly affected by the state. Do you think that there's something that libertarians are doing unconsciously that's pushing away women and people of color? Yes. Okay. And if so, what do you think can change to, to do that? You know, I had Besi this... besides signing up for your program. I had 
Besides, that's a guy's without saying. That's really just signed up for the um, program. Yeah, it. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're out of here. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I had an aha moment not very long ago. Um, and like some of the best aha moments, when I had it, I was like, this is so trivial. This is like so obvious. How have I missed it? The fundamental, this may not be completely precise, but I'm going to throw it out as a first order approximation. Most the of my episode is not precise, so go, <laughs> go, go, go at it. The first, the first approximation, the real divide inside the libertarian party and maybe the movement okay. is not between the radicals and the pragmatists or those that talk a lot about um, yeah, electoral success and those that talk a lot about principle. The fundamental divide is between the kind and the unkind. There's an awful lot, and I think I'm going to, this goes back to your earlier question, say probably disproportionate amount of tolerance for unkindness um, that I see in libertarian communication. I see um, people who, based on overlap of message, overlap of belief in the moral and political importance of increasing liberty should be broadly on the same team. But when a difference is exposed, a small difference, um, what, you know, they won't just declare loudly the difference, which right. by the way, I, I am completely fine with. I, I, have, I have paid large prices in my life personally for principle. I like principled people. And of course, I like of course. Well, you're a libertarian. But, but, I mean, you're here with a bunch of principled people, so of course. Absolutely. Right. But what happens is they turn up the volume too much on that, and it turns into gratuitous personal attacks. Now, yes, that goes on inside the Democratic Party. Yes, it goes on inside the Republican Party. But as a proportion of all of what's coming out, I don't think it goes on as much. And um, now, I'm not going to die on that hill. But that's the impression I get from dealing with groups um, that aren't just in. Yeah, obviously, I'm dealing mostly with an inside libertarian circles, but I'm also right. dealing the outside. And, and that's how that's how it feels to me right now. Um, and I think that, um, you see, there is no principle, libertarian or otherwise, that depends for its utmost manifestation on being nasty to other people. <laughs> I just, right. but but we've i feel like it's normalized inside the the passionate core of uh of our movement right now and i um i think it might again i could be wrong but i think it, i think it's an issue with respect to our effectiveness to actually convert if i can use that word i wonder if and I, I agree. And I wonder if oh, this and, is... Sorry, and you asked about women and people of color. So, yeah, so, okay. Sorry. And so just to tie it to that, the reason right. I went down the track is women are differ from men in terms of personality by being a lot higher in agreeableness, right? So at the margins of disagreeableness, 
right? You've got, although, you know, the difference in the mean isn't too great. The right. difference in the number at the extremes is massively different between men and women. There are massively more men that are high on disagreeableness than there are women and massively more women who are high on agreeableness than disagreeableness. So when you've got, right, this disproportionate, loud, ringing, um, disagreeable, which I'm calling unkind, um, right. way of communicating, of course that puts people off who feel who either, in terms of personality, are not disposed towards it or who feel they have been victims of exactly that kind of attitude. And I don't blame them. Yeah, and, and, and so, so that it's explains with, with women. And, and so is it with people of color? Is it just that? So if, if is it that if, well, I'll, I'll let you say it. What, how do you say that? How would you say that that? translates over into what's happening with people of color and why they may not be as attracted to what in my mind would be a movement that's a natural fit for a, an issue that they're going through even more so than than with white people if i feel rightly or wrongly that a lot of my life experience comes out of being victimized then the last place i want to go is a place where people are comfortable victimizing each other for <laughs> okay that's a good point. So even if our message is one of freedom, if we're doing it by attacking everyone, then that comes off as the exact opposite of what they're trying to be around in the first place. Yeah, and let's be clear, right? First of all, the message a lot it's not the message. It's not the political philosophy per se that makes the political or cultural reality. It's the political philosophy mediated by human beings oh, with yeah. a load of other aspects to them that are nothing to do with politics, that are to do with their upbringing, that are to do with how they communicate with, with, with the other aspects of their morality that may not be political, right? So, so to think that somehow anybody should sign up just because of the message is to completely misunderstand the most basic grade one level of what I'm about and what I think any human being should be about if only they care about other human beings. Right. right? I mean, think about, just let's think about, to, 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 take, to, to uh, take this principle or this point and apply it in a different way. Okay. Donald Trump is our president. I was right? just going to, yeah, yeah. Right. So, so how many Trump voters, especially the ones that voted Democrat or didn't vote, let's just say didn't vote Republican before, yeah. how many of them do you think when right now I, I I've read everything on his website. I know where he is on the issues, right? I've I've listened to his like you know the 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 the, the, the actual political message or the message about the political philosophy that he expounds. Right. And you know what? When I did that, I noticed that I agreed with eight out of every twelve things he said. So I'm a majority Trump guy. So I'm going right. to vote Trump. I mean, right. the whole thing is stupid. It's absurd. Now right. the reason the reason that blue Republican worked, by the way was not just because I invite, I did two fundamental things and we've only discussed one. Now we need to discuss the other. I did the thing that we already talked about, which is I invited someone to check their progressive principles about the candidate and policies they were supporting by supporting Obama rather than this supposed old white conservative Republican called Ron Paul. Ultra but conservative, I right. But I also did, I also gave them a new safe identity. Right. Blue Republican was a new political identity. If I could say if I were a Democrat who spent his whole life like hating Republicans, I'd right. say, well, I'm not a Republican. I'm a blue Republican just for you. 
right? And I even had that whole thing about just for a year. I put just for a year in the title. Yeah, I saw right? that, yeah, in parentheses, yeah. just for a year. Now, yeah. None of this was by accident. And if you actually take the Weapons of Mass Persuasion course, you will see a sentence-by-sentence sentence analysis of why that article was so powerful. Um, so, I mean, you'll see lots of other things, but that's one of the things I have in there. Um, so, you know, the, but it, it, as I say, it can be learned. So the, the, the reason I'm mentioning this thing about identity is it's not about you don't sign up to a team because of what they profess. You sign up to a team because that team understands how you feel and can let you feel that they know how you feel and that you trust that their broad, their broad moral motivations are close enough to yours that if that what they're going to do with the data they get about the world, which are going to be similar enough to the kind of data and perceptions you have, right. are going to be broadly in line with what you think is right. Now, that's what it means to identify with someone or with a group. And, um, and Trump did that with a certain group of the voters. Oh, absolutely. Um, it wasn't just about... Because, look, if, if, if all it was about was, was what you believe... That was the actual content of the message. All you would need to do for any campaign is write the 12 bullets and just make sure everybody reads them and then just right. sit back and wait. Right. And the whole thing, when you actually unpack, unpack it like that and you do these little simple th thought experiments, you start to feel the absurdity of how many of us in the libertarian movement do what we do, pretending that we're trying to, you know, I don't know, increase liberty or persuade right. anybody. Right. <laughs> That's interesting. So we t on our sister show, or I guess my show that I have with our other uh, uh, other person on this network, uh, we talk a lot about the fact that Donald Trump, even though he's not overall a popular president, the reason we think he's going to get reelected is because he has easily the single largest movement right now is Trumpism. And it has almost nothing to do with policy. There is some, you know, that they're economic and, 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 uh, persons, they're protectionists in that, you know, they want reductions in immigration. They want an end to right. illegal immigration. They, most of them are trade protectionists, but there are a lot of that are just along for the ride. He's a businessman. He knows what's gonna, he knows how to get it done. And he's lived, he's lived this great life. And maybe I can get some of that too. And he's talking about how much he loves America. And, and, and before him, and the reason that Democrats have had a difficult time fighting him is because their political movement was completely disbanded when Barack Obama retired. And so, you know, he's not, when he was president, he had the largest uh, uh, political and it, political, uh, I guess, group or block. And it was built around hope and change as these, uh, I guess, esoteric ideas. There was, he, he was very post-liberal in a lot of ways. He did not get into policy often. He would touch on it. He would touch on it and you would know if you were really following what he was doing that he was a, I mean, he was a down the line, hardcore progressive, but he didn't talk progressive philosophy. He talked your feelings. Right. Donald Trump is all about your feelings. And he is at this point scandal proof um, to some extent. And I think we'll end up getting reelected entirely because he has touched people's feelings and made them feel like he's he's in a they don't have to worry about it he's got it taken care of and 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 they can just you know he's gonna he's gonna you know he's gonna uh captain the ship and everyone will be okay and and i guess what you're saying and 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 you know correct me if i'm wrong is that we have to tap into 
people's desire to know that we actually have their best interests in mind and that the average conversation with the average libertarian activist may not leave them feeling that way. Yes, and and that they can trust how we see the world, that it's like them broadly and what we're going to do about it. And given what you just said, by the way, about Obama and Trump, which was, you know, broadly correct. Um, given that these, that all my libertarian friends, and I don't care if they're anarchists or, or minarchists, as long as they, you know, genuinely care about liberty, right. um, you know, can observe and are upset about the fact that Obama in his way and Trump in his way mm-hmm. are massively contributing to the takedown of our natural rights and individual liberties. Right. How can you say to me that a principled libertarian can be having arguments about minarchy versus anarchy rather than understanding what their opposition is actually doing to win. If you actually are driven by the principles of liberty and you're spending time having hypothetical discussions rather than learning how to reverse that, I'm not sure you are a principled libertarian. And I know that's a big thing to say, but perhaps what you're really enjoying is the intellectual ego trip. Right. And I'm not just saying that's a problem that, you know, obviously there are people who are engaged in that all over the political spectrum. Right. But but what is it we really trying to do here? Because because, you know, having an argument on ideas um, isn't is just that having saying making declarations is not by definition being principled. Being principled is acting according to what you profess is demonstrating that principle right and now there even are when it hurts, even when it means you've got to do things that you'd rather not be doing because you'd rather be having a debate with a minarchist or an anarchist or whatever it is like talk to normal people see i and i i came into libertarianism i guess through the back door of 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 philosophy but i'm not uncomfortable talking with people and i've met a lot of libertarians that also aren't um, but there are a lot of libertarians that, that are, and I, I think because this is a, and maybe it's just because it's somewhat of a fringe group that there are some people who actually almost the opposite of what you're saying, where they're less concerned about the philosophical underpinnings and foundations of libertarianism as much as they are the fringiness of it. And so whether they're doing it consciously or subconsciously, they're almost pushing away the normies and, 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 you know, because they want it to remain this sort of, uh, 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 debating society as opposed to a group that's engaging 7 billion people and trying to change the, the entire, uh, you know, like you said, the paradigm, try to change the entire dynamic of how the world works. They'd rather kind of just argue with other uh, socially, you know, they say, uh, you know, libertarians are, uh, uh, what is it? Um, so, oh man, economically conservative and socially awkward. And, uh, and, and so, um, I don't find myself socially awkward, but I have found that there are a lot of libertarians that are, and I think it's going to take people outside of that to to to, to push outside of it. You know what? I I'm going to say a couple of positive things now. Um, uh, <laughs> An hour in, we're going to start seeing some positive <laughs> yeah, it's stuff. Yeah, time to be nice. Um, uh, yeah, this guy talks about being kind, or he's being such a bastard. Um, uh, I. First of all, the culture of the liberty movement is changing for the better. It is becoming culturally more mainstream, I think. Um, you can see this. So I you know, started with the Blue Republican thing pretty much. And over eight years, I see, I see that the difference in a way that, let's say, the millennials coming up and now the Gen Zers 
dress, communicate, right. look, hold themselves. Versus in 2011, when I went to my first, you know, Ron Paul rally in Phoenix and all the old white computer programmers with, with their, with their guns. Right? I mean, literally, I mean, that, and, and that's great. Right? It's me. That's um, me. It's me. It's me, it's me and I love, and I tell you, I love old white computer programmers with their guns. I mean, you know, right. I'm with you, but, um, but you know, I, so it's worth, it's worth mentioning that and, and anything I can, I can do to support that. Wonderful. But I would also say that the problem isn't social awkwardness because, you know, there are a lot of socially awkward people outside the liberty movement that right. will identify with socially awkward people inside the movement. In fact, for a lot, there's enough people that we need to convert to libertarianism that will be better met by people with their own social insecurities because they feel them too. The problem isn't, I don't think, the social awkwardness. I think the problem, again, the bigger problem is the willingness to alienate and condescend like the, the unkindness, the right? eager, the eagerness to, to condescend. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, you know, I, there are people I love dearly who were, that I would have in my house, let's say, who were socially awkward that maybe I need to make it do a little bit more work with. Um, and those who, uh, who were more, you know, outgoing and charismatic. And, um, but, but most, People, I think, just instinctively draw the line at someone that clearly doesn't care about how they feel. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, and that's and, a good place to draw a line. And frankly, by the way, here you go. Let's go. Let's let's go meta. And also, while staying super relevant, if I'm encountering your philosophy broadly for the first time, or some idea broadly for the first time, and obviously it's going to challenge mine. If I see that it's that it's coming from someone who doesn't care about people feel, why <laughs> would I even allow subconsciously, let alone consciously, that this philosophy is geared to making people feel better, to having better lives? Like, it's logical to reject it out of hand. So, you know, and then you they say, well, it's a philosophy of non-aggression. So why do I feel like you're aggressing against me with your words, dude? Right? Why does it feel like that? Right? And they're not um, necessarily having, the person experiencing this isn't necessarily having this conscious discussion with themselves that you're talking about, but it's an inherent innate thing that they're experiencing this, you know, you're attacking me with words and while talking to me about non-aggression and this isn't jiving. They don't have to have much of a discussion inside their, their instinct is like, no, I got to get away from this. Yeah. And you know, an, an instinct, I think we've mentioned the word a couple of times. Um, libertarians, um, being, um, you know, like me as a physicist and like me as a philosopher of science, um, high on the rationality and loving, their logic and their coherent arguments. And if you read some of my articles, you can see that I'm, I have logical syllogisms in some of my oh, articles. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I am uh, proudly uh, an intellectual purist um, and, and, and a proudly committed to intellectual rigor. Um, nevertheless, one, one of the other things that, again, you'll find in the Weapons of Mass Persuasion program is I talk about don't poo-poo as a highly rational being, your emotional and intuitive systems. Because, you know, you can take a physics problem with just three physical entities and it not have a solution, right? The three body problem in Newtonian mechanics, right? Yeah, the human mind cannot actually rationally deal with any problem where you've got more than three variables or a couple of uncertainties. And we're talking about political systems that affect 320 million people with free will, all of whom don't even 
like can't be defined in any like precise way. Right. right. I mean, the, the idea that 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 not having to bring to bear your intuitive system for making decisions under high complexity and high uncertainty and many variables, like like some libertarians seem to want to insist isn't the case. It's kind right. of absurd, right? Right. We need to, as rational, highly rational people in the liberty movement, we need to respect the people, allow their intuitive systems to give them information about what we're telling them. Because ours are too. Because if they weren't, we wouldn't be able to get out of bed in the morning. Right. They're just higher on the, the that side of the spectrum than we are. But we're all at some level yes. of combining rationality with, you know, emotion and, and, and intuitiveness and instinct. They're Absolutely. just higher on the, in, in, maybe on the, on the 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 uh i always confuse the ego and the id but they're 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 higher on the on the they're lesser on the on the strict rationality and 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 logic behind it and more on the how it feels to them and they've lived their lives that way they've lived their lives based on how things feel to them for better or worse and we need to respect that most people are wired that way Uh, but also every single person on the whole planet including all the libertarians are wired that way it's just that when it comes to, to yeah yeah and, and yeah. the domains right you know our political beliefs that's one domain of existence right you know but but show me the equivalent for how you determined whether you married the right person like like you know being a libertarian right i mean it's you know, a decision with at least as much consequence for your life as the you know the, the political philosophy you're going to argue in your next 20 facebook <laughs> but, i mean you know what I mean? at least as at least as important as that at least exactly so let's stop being hypocrites right like, that's all i'm saying you know that's not all i'm saying it's one of the big things it's, you've said many things but the uh uh I, i'm seeing it now one of our commenters said that you are the jonathan pie of libertarianism and i totally see that um <laughs> you, so know, you know what I, I know exactly what he's referring to um you're or she i don't know if, the gender of your commenter it's but, a he yeah it's he's a, a yeah. he's a, he's it's, a he. It's, it's he and of course this is a libertarian podcast so i i should have put my money on he right um to we've had no we've had we've uh, had some female uh okay, yeah, as sure. well so we had a mix um yeah. but I, I i was oh jonathan pie um i was gonna say i i made a conscious decision before coming on to this show spike that um to to, to be a little more emotional and and, and less uh less what i usually do which is um, what I'm really good at is 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 kind of that's kind of what Obama did, right? Don't say anything, don't take a stand, and then people come in and then they eat, then they can persuade because they project themselves onto what you offer. Um, right. And, and, Thank you for uh, not doing that because that would have been a difficult show. Well, talk to no, me about no, this, no, and you go. It, would, it wouldn't be difficult because I've done it in nearly every show. Um, <laughs> but Where you just spend I, I, the time asking me what I think. No, I say things that I know people can agree with, even if they're those things mean different things to different people. That's what Obama. Uh, okay, okay, okay. So it's like, like platitudes, almost. Yeah. No, 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 no. Not platitudes. It's an acknowledgement that words actually do mean different things to different people based on the paradigms, or as determined by the paradigms in which they live. That's true for any two people. Um, any two people, you can find any two people and I can show you an example. Being aware of that just affects how you communicate if you're trying to communicate effectively to large numbers of people. So um, so I'm all I'm saying is somebody said to me recently, Robin, you need to start throwing more stones. 
Um, and I think they're probably right for my So this is the new stone-throwing Robin that we're experiencing. Yeah, he throws them with a smile, right? (laughs) Hey, I've loved this. I've loved every second of this, so I'm glad that that you have chosen my show to unveil the new Robin 2.0. So, no, I'm loving it. I have one more question for you. Uh, uh, about messaging. So one of the things that I have, I, I think I've been fairly good at, I have a lot of people that were, I'm better at messaging to conservatives than progressives. I think uh, even though most of my friends are progressives, but most of, but my, I come from being a neocon and then a constitutionalist, not a paleocon. And I, I've sort of come out of that, that, uh, you know, that principle of smaller government. And so I, I think I speak that language better. Um, and maybe I'm right. I guess I've converted some uh, progressives, but I've had a lot of people who I think I've pulled more over towards liberty. Um, but one of the most difficult issues I've had, um, and obviously I, I don't want you to give away everything that's in your program, but just kind of a, maybe a, a, a snippet of there are people who find a feeling of strength. And I guess that all goes back to self-worth, but a feeling of strength and especially among men, masculinity, but even with women, I guess with some of the women, a feeling of protection, but just a feeling of strength that's being projected by our perpetual war against an ever-increasing amount of the world. Uh, and and when you when I talk to them about it and and show them, you know, that this isn't what you think it is. They're not making us safer. They're not, uh, you know, they're not. Uh, we're we're less safe because of it. It's creating terrorism. It's making people hate us, even though we weren't directly involved. I guess except for our vote, if we voted for it. But you know, it's it's not a good thing. They will uh, many times after seeding that it may not even be a good thing. They fall back to well, you know, that's you know we're strong and and you know it's our strength. And how it, how do you get? Is there a way to get past someone who is getting almost an ego trip out of what's happening? The fact that they belong to a country whose government is, I guess, able to commit this level of mayhem around the world? I'm sure that's not what they're thinking when they say it, but I get a lot of people that are just like, yeah, well, that's American strength. And if they don't like it, then, you know, that's that's, you know, tough on them. Is there a, a how does one message around that? How are you? How does one how is one empathetic to that? I guess is what I ask. So you're so you're talking about a certain kind of if I make sure I've understood this right. of the neocon, let's say Republican right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, Neocons oh. and just I guess a okay. lot of new Trumpists who maybe ha- had even voted for Obama and now they've bought into this whole American strength strength being you know militarism. Uh, so, but yeah, I guess it's all coming from that neocon thought process. And you're saying that what you're finding is that people are happy to acknowledge that something may not, some military action, let's say, may not be working on its own merits, but it's justified just because it's an expression of strength per se. Is that what you're saying? To some extent. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess I've never had anyone go, yeah, I guess it's not a great idea, but we're strong. It's just they stop arguing whether it was a great idea or not and just basically sit on, this is our strength. Um, So no, I haven't had someone specifically say, yeah, it's a terrible idea, but it shows our strength. It's just that where they started by saying this keeps us safe, this is, you know, it's a good thing we're we're liberating countries and all this stuff. When, When they're disabused of that, they just fall back on, well, you know, this is our American strength. I mean, I, I, 
I the first thing is is to do always to do um, if you can, uh, whilst yeah. being you know true obviously to your your principles, um, is to acknowledge the importance of the thing motivating them. Right. So um, in this case, uh, it's American strength, <laughs> and it's America and strength. Right. Right. So the first, so so what often you need to do when, when when you're so far apart, right? This is you know philosophically, right. is to start to engage the conversation about um, in the conversation about the component concept. Uh, what does America mean to you? And probably in this case, more importantly, well, yeah, you know, what is it to be strong? And just talk about strength. Now, there's a really important principle that I teach um, uh, in, in in the program um, that what you choose to talk about does more to give to, to cause someone to identify with you and therefore trust whatever your solution is than what you say about it. So the very fact that you might hear that and not make the case, but start by having, if let's say you're sitting down having a coffee with this person, a right. half hour conversation about strength and the history of American strength and to actually like talk about that and not try to get your to your philosophy to to, to the statement of why they're wrong before you finish that coffee. You don't have to. What you okay. have to do is let them know that they can trust what's important to you about the world, right? Your perceptions of the world, so that you care enough about America and you care enough about strength to be having an interesting conversation about it, right? right. Then what you say, the ex you could make the exact same case you were going to make before doing that, and it will have a 180-degree different impact. It's, so it's not about the words. It's about the extent to which someone or how someone identifies with you at the point you say the words. That determines how they're going to receive them. So in some ways, if they're throwing stuff up, they may it may just be their way of saying, I'm not comfortable with how this conversation is going or how you're I don't think you I don't think you get what it is I want. And so I'm, I'm throwing this up and, and that sort of ends the conversation. Um, I don't think people, I mean, sometimes people do consciously do that because they just can't handle it and they know they're, they're they done. Yeah, they're yeah, yeah. Death, right? Um, right. But no, what I'm saying is the person is coming from this place because that's what motivates them. Now, underlying that, there might be some kind of fear or something, right. but but they're telling you, you know, that the, the customer, shut up for long enough, the customer will tell you how to sell them, right? Yep. So the customer is saying, sell me with America, sell me with strength. So what you're going to do is ask them what those concepts mean until the point that you can see what your way in is so that you can see at some point in that 20, 30, 40 minute conversation, how long it's going to take. You're going to get given something that makes you go, ah, oh, that means he's going to agree with this other thing that I, I believe as a libertarian. Right. And wait until you get that feeling. And then you go in with that thing and your opening gambit, your hook is going to be whatever that thing is. That's going to be, that you're going to be directed to by virtue of what he says in answer to your genuinely humble, I want to find out more about you, why you believe this crazy thing, questions. But you're not going to let him know that you think he's crazy. And and also, they're going to feel like I'm actually listening to them and care about their worldview. Yeah, you can't I will be. Because you, you can't fake this. If you're going to get good, if you're a salesman and you want to sell product P, to customer C, you need to know more about customer C than product P, right? It's the same when you're selling ideas. It's simple, right. simple. In principle, it's simple.
Very good stuff, but not so simple that you can't purchase the weapons of mass persuasion program. Right, because you what to, you, you have to is, is know how to do all the things I've just told you. Exactly. Right? Yeah, easier said <laughs> than done. Right. Absolutely. So I had a and and thank you again for coming on. I had a big problem putting together the notes for this episode. My problem is that I've been following you for I think at least a year now, and every once in a while I'll have a guest that has so much stuff that they've said and written that I want to talk about that we could be here for the better part of a week and 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 possibly finish flushing it out. Um, there were so many different things that I'm like, oh, I want to talk about that. And then when I, I looked at my show notes, I'm like, just reading this took 30 minutes. There's no way we're going to be able to, we're going to be able to, to then have him answer what I just spent a half hour asking. So if it's okay with you, I don't, I would like to have you on every once in a while. Cause I have so just to talk about like what you've most recently written and stuff like that. Cause I could talk with you all day and I, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, water down the core of what your message is by getting into 15 other different things and spending another two hours here, which I don't think also my wife would be angry at me if I spent this long on it. That Canadian so, body, you need to go get some, man. That, yeah, <laughs> no, oh, trust me. Trust me. Well, One, I mean, two, and three, like, yeah. That, that's, uh, it's very kind of you to say those things and I'd be very glad to do it and uh, I appreciate you being a great interviewer and uh, I look forward to that. Well, that's good. And thank you again for bringing us stone-throwing uh, Jonathan Pye, uh, uh, Robin Kerner. <laughs> I, I want that Robin Kerner every time I want to come on. You idiots don't know what you're doing. Um, you didn't call anyone idiots, by the way. But no. so before I let you go, and again, thank you so much. Um, any final thoughts, anything that you feel needs to be said, anything you want to plug? We're going to put all your stuff in the show notes so everyone can see it. But anything else that you want to say before we let you go? Um, I So uh, weapons of mass persuasion is probably the most important thing I want. So that's weaponsofmasspersuasion.com, and thank you for mentioning that a few times. Right now, um, I have done a lot of work on putting these principles into a uh, marketing paradigm campaign for the Libertarian Party. Um, And uh, if you want to find out about that, it's at giveml.us. So that's giveml.us. This hasn't been launched. Um, I put it together, uh, you know, on my own dime and on my own time to present it to the LP. And I've offered it to them, um, you know, for some dirt cheap knockdown rate if they want to use it. Um, so if anybody who's uh, a committed libertarian, certainly a, a party member, check out giveml.us. And if this is something you like, um, just go pledge your support or go to Facebook and go to the giveml page on Facebook. And then you can check out what it's all about. I'm really kind of excited about some of the uh, some of the messaging in there. It's it's kind of a lot of fun. There's some good tongue in cheek stuff in there, and um, I think it would be a revolutionary. Uh, I'm biased, but I think it'd be a revolutionary improvement for messaging for the LP. So that's something I'm kind of excited about right now. Um, and uh, yes, and then my own website where my articles are uh, robinkerner.com, um, and you guys, your viewers, can see how to spell it by looking at the screen there, robinkerner.com. Right. Uh, and, you know, follow me at Twitter, the normal stuff, R. Kerner, R-K-O-E-R-N-E-R. Um, oh, yeah, and I should plug this, right? Uh, go to my website and you can order a signed copy of my book. Uh, hold on, let me get that right. Um, a little bit keep... to your right. A little bit yeah. to your right. Perfect. Going... Yeah, it's, it's just... perfect. There we go. Yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, so anyway, um, signed copy for any listeners to your show if you go and order it from my uh, my. My site. You can order it from Amazon, but then it doesn't get to be signed and personalized. So. Cool, cool. Well, thank you again. Uh, stick around for a moment um, during the outro. I'm going to talk with you a little bit more before I let you go. But thank you again. Guys, 
thank you so much again for joining me at My Fellow Americans. Uh, there will not be an episode of the Writer's Block tomorrow. In case you haven't heard, it's Thanksgiving. So unfortunately, so the, the good side of that is that it's Thanksgiving. The bad, the, 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 that's the silver lining to the bad fact that you won't be getting the writer's block tomorrow. Uh, but join us uh, for on Tuesday uh, for the Muddy Waters of Freedom, where we will be talking about whatever amazing things have happened over the last week. And uh, join us again here uh, for my fellow Americans uh, next Wednesday. And my guest will be, is that my guest next week? Yes. My guest next week will be uh, Dwayne Lester, uh, who uh, does uh, stuff for Americans for Prosperity. And uh, so have a great week. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. And God bless you.